So good morning again. I want to thank everybody for being here and just giving me an opportunity to speak to you again. You notice what our topic is. I want to talk to us about having a right heart, a right heart towards God and toward others. And to look at that, I want to look mainly at the Sermon on the Mount and the things that Jesus teaches there. We'll be focused on Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you want to follow along, I'll have a lot of verses up here, but I, I don't think you'll have any trouble following along. We're going to be right there in chapters 5 through 7. Now, for a little background, when Jesus is teaching the people, I want us to remember that the people Jesus is teaching, he's speaking to, they are the Jews of his time. Their religious leaders were primarily focused on teaching the letter of the law, and sometimes they were uh, also overriding the law with their traditions. They were pushing their traditions a lot. Now, I'm not saying that the Jewish leaders, that none of them actually knew the law or understood the law, but it seemed like a lot of them were not teaching it correctly. The leaders were also very concerned, as were all the people, with the fact that they were occupied by the Romans. The Romans were there. They were seeing them every day. I'm sure that we would have similar feelings that they probably had if we had another country ruling us from afar, but their soldiers were here on our streets in the corners of our towns. So at the same time, though, we do need to realize that the Lord is teaching us as well. We need to take what he's saying personally as if he is speaking to us because he is. He knew this would be recorded, and he knew that we would have this to look at. Um, nothing he teaches is dated or just specific to his time. It all applies to us. Now, if I had to sum up in the Sermon of the Mount what Jesus is talking about, I would say that he's mainly teaching us how to have a right heart toward God and others, thus the name. And he begins with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. These speak to the condition of how our hearts need to be. These are not just how we naturally are as humans. We have to work on these. These are goals for us. So if we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10, I'll start with the first one here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you might say, wait, well, should we want to be poor? Is that a, is that a goal for us? Well, we should recognize that we need God. We need his wisdom and his moral guidance in our lives, realizing that without him, we are poor and destitute, lacking in goodness and integrity. Next, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do we mourn for our sins? We should regret our sins. We should repent and turn away. But also, are we sorrowful for others when we see bad things happen to others? Do we move to help them? Do we pray for them? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Are we following God's will or are we demanding our own way? To be meek is to listen to and obey God. We must be humble with others as well. 
considering others with humility and kindness, putting them first. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We should yearn in our hearts for God and his ways, seeking his moral perfection in our lives. And we do this by studying God's word, seeking his wisdom and his guidance for us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We must be forgiving and merciful to others. It can be hard at times, but it is possible with God. And being merciful as the way they use the word here is also more than just forgiveness. It is being compassionate toward others, acting in kindness toward them. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We should be free from corrupt desires. We do this by placing God first and desiring what he wants, cleansing ourselves with the word of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus gave us his peace. We have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. We should be living peaceful lives and trying to bring peace to others. We do this through sharing the gospel and helping others receive that peace of God. And, of course, we should be peaceful with and toward others, not causing or promoting strife, but trying to live in peace with everyone. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So again, we go, well, wait, I don't want to be persecuted. And of course, we don't want to be persecuted. Who would? But Jesus was persecuted, and he told us that we would be persecuted for following him. So in an odd way, yes, we do want to be persecuted. Not exactly, not that we really want it, but we know that's the result of following the Lord, right? We need to hold our salvation, hold on to our salvation in love as Jesus did. Now, verses 11 and 12, they reinforce this and encourage us to be happy when we're persecuted. So how can we be happy in persecution? Well, when we know and understand the things that Jesus is teaching us, when we have those things in our hearts, then we can be happy in persecution, knowing that our reward is with God. Now, after presenting these goals, and that's what the Beatitudes really are, they're goals for us, um, Jesus tells us how we should be acting out these conditions of the heart, how we should be doing these things. If you look at uh, verses 13 through 16, still in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So our salt is the spirit and love of God. If we lose that, then we are worthless like trash to be discarded. That sounds harsh, but that's just, that's just the way it is. We read the rest of the verses. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We should be shining forth with kindness and love toward others. Our light should be a beacon that can't be ignored. And our light must shine to bring glory to God. In the next verses, 17 through 20, Jesus tells us two things, and these things go together. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jaw or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So first, Jesus says that he's not trying to abolish the law or the prophets, what they said. He has instead come to fulfill the law. And he's not teaching anyone to break the law. And second, he says our righteousness must be greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So now Jesus begins to teach in a manner contrasting how they had been taught and how they were being taught with how they should be taught and what they should be taught. Because those authorities were not even really teaching the law correctly. They were trying to teach the letter of the law, but had replaced the law with their traditions in a lot of ways, and they had corrupted the instructions of God. So from here on, Jesus is teaching how to have that greater righteousness. If we look at verses 21 and 22, he warns us that murder begins in the heart, and it begins in anger. You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, you'll notice that in now, some, some translations don't have the without a cause phrase in that verse. And that's okay because the idea is, if you'll notice in verse 22, just being angry, okay, especially being wrongfully angry, puts us in danger of judgment. Because all anger can cause us to act rashly or say things that we shouldn't. So that anger in our hearts puts us in danger of the judgment. Then in the next sentences, Jesus shows how the es escalation leads us further into sin. Without looking at what the phrase raka and all that means, just notice that he's, he's showing an escalation of us going further into trouble, further the wrong way. And that, that's in our hearts. That affects our hearts. If we look at verses 18, now this is 
about the only time I'm going to hop away from here. If we look at uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, you can see where the Lord explains these sinful things come from our heart, through our mouths, and into action. And if we look at those verses in chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And this is why our heart is so important. It's why we have to replace the wrong things in our hearts with God's thoughts and principles. Now, if we come back to the Sermon on the Mount, come back to Matthew chapter 5, you can see in verses 23 through 26, Jesus tells us instead to make peace with our brother. And that's what reconcile means here. It says, you know, in my translation, he says to reconcile with your brother. Well, he means to make peace. And that fits with our goal of wanting to be peacemakers. We want to make peace with others. Next in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 27, 28, Jesus continues with his contrasting the letter of the law and how we should be in our hearts. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And notice again the emphasis on what is in our hearts. What are we dwelling on, pondering? You know, any of us may have stray thoughts or temptations, but the real trouble lies in inviting those thoughts in, keeping them around, kind of entertaining those thoughts, and uh, just letting them live in our minds and in our hearts. This can lead to sinful actions, just like anger can lead to murder. In the next verses, 29 and 30, he tells us to remove those temptations from us, and Jesus tells us in a graphic, shocking way to remove those temptations to you know, cut off our arm, cut off our leg, whatever it takes, but remove the temptations because those sins, those momentary sins are not worth eternal damnation. If we look uh, at verses 31 and 32, still in chapter 5, Jesus covers divorce. Now, this is definitely a problem we see in Christian society today, just as much as they had back then. Uh, today, we see it in men and women, uh, whereas back then, it would have primarily been men, as you know, very male-dominated, and they were the ones that could do the divorcing. Um, so if we look at uh, verses 31 and 32, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now in Matthew 19, chapter 19, Jesus gives a more in-depth explanation, saying that the law allowed for divorce due to the hardness of their hearts. But that was never the intent. That was not the idea. Now notice the exception that Jesus does make for sexual immorality because he knows how hurtful that is to our hearts. But he encourages us to not harden our hearts toward our spouses, 
We must be humble, forgiving, and seeking peace, especially in our marriage. Next, in uh, verses 33 through 37, Jesus speaks to our integrity. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, eat neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And this goes back to being pure and innocent in heart. If we are honest and speak truth, then we do not need to make oaths. And that's what verse 37 is telling us, just to be truthful in the beginning, just be truthful in what we say. Now, Jesus gets into some very difficult territory for all of us to restrain our desire for revenge and human justice. In these verses 38 through 42, he encourages us to be peaceful and make peace even when we are unjustly put upon. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. There are probably a lot of things here, but we're going to look at several things in these verses. First, slapping someone the way it's mentioned here. This was a huge insult and a challenge to someone's pride. It shows contempt for the person being slapped. And it's not so much a physical thing as it is embarrassing and shameful. This is something that you might have seen in movies or something where someone would smack the other one to kind of get them mad. Jesus teaches us to endure these things with humility. Second, the idea that we are being sued. In, uh, in verse 40, we're being sued unjustly for our belongings, what is rightfully ours. This is extremely offensive to us, even now in our society, if someone says they're going to sue you and take stuff from you, right? But uh, what do we value? What's important to us? Remember, we want to make peace with our brother. These worldly goods are not important. They are just objects. They're things. They decay. They fade away. And they can be replaced. Third, going the extra mile. You look at verse 41, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. We think of this toward our family and friends, but Jesus also means our enemies. They were occupied by the Romans. A Roman soldier could walk up to them on the street and demand that they carry their gear, and they had to do it. They didn't have a choice. Now, his audience knew and understood this, what he was getting at. A lot of times we don't understand that. 
That's a part of that. Jesus is telling us to help our enemies and to do even more than they ask. Fourth, we should give to others who ask and lend to those who ask. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, the Lord even says to lend expecting nothing in return. That's just, in my mind, that's just giving. So, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what he says. That sounds like freely giving, right? So we should, we should have giving hearts. We must be humble, merciful, and peaceful in these situations. Being empathetic to the other person's state of being, whatever that may be, they may physically be less off than we are, they may be poorer than we are, or they may be lost. Their soul just may be lost. And that makes them a lot poorer than we are. Now, if that was not hard enough, in verses 43 through 48, Jesus is going to make it even harder and challenge us to love our enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that makes sense, right? I mean, this is what they were being taught. They were surrounded and ruled basically by their enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus tells us that we must be like our Heavenly Father. And this requires that we use those attitudes, those attitudes from the Beatitudes, those ideas. We must be practicing those things. We must go beyond what our human logic tells us. We should love the way God loves, and this love must come from the heart. It must override our anger, our embarrassment, our shame, and any offense that we may suffer or take. All of this is how we must be in our hearts, sympathizing, loving, humble, and peaceful. Seeking God first and putting others before ourselves. Now in chapter 6, Jesus speaks about how they should not follow the examples of the hypocritical leaders that they have. He's teaching us and them how to truly worship God from our hearts. If we look at the first verses in chapter 6, 1 through 4, Jesus tells us to do our charitable gifts secretly, quietly. We do them for God's approval, not man's. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Are we bragging and boasting about what we do for others? Do we want praise and attention of people instead of God? That's, that's what the hypocrites do. That's what they did then. That's what they do now. What is the intent of our giving? Are we giving to help others because we care about them? Are we giving to support the Lord's work to help save souls? These should be our reasons for giving. Again, we see how this and everything Jesus is teaching us relates back to the Beatitudes and how it's about the intent of our hearts. If we look at verses uh, 5 through 7 in uh, this, this chapter 6, Jesus tells us the same regarding prayer. Now we're just going to read verse 5, but we're not praying as a show for people. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Our prayers should come from our hearts, out of love of God and concern for others and sincere repentance when needed. And notice verse 7. A long and flowery prayer is not what matters. God is not impressed with 10 minutes of grand or eloquent speaking. He's impressed by the intent of our heart, our humble requests. A short, sincere prayer is perfectly fine. If you notice Jesus' prayer, it was a good, simple example. And then notice what he stresses after he gives that example of a prayer. If you look in verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. For us to be forgiven, we must be merciful and forgive. Jesus stresses this so we will understand again, the merciful will receive mercy, and without mercy, we die in our sins. It's extremely important. In the next verses, Jesus speaks of fasting to the Lord, and he makes the same kind of contrast that fasting should be done for the Lord and not to be seen of men. We want to remember that we're not seeking the praise of men. It's only God that can spiritually fill us and make us whole, not the praise of men. We look down to verses 19 through 24. Jesus speaks to us about materialism. Now, normally, the way these are broken up in my Bible, they are broken up like there are three different ideas, this set of verses. But they're really one thing. They're one idea. And uh, this is uh, one idea that it's how we should see material things in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. It's how we should regard the things of earth and the things of heaven. So let's read verses uh, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the focus of our heart should be on heaven, doing things here that create heavenly treasure. We should be acting out God's love and kindness toward others. If we look at the next couple of verses, 22 and 23, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now I think these two verses are probably confusing to us in a lot of ways. Uh, but basically, I, I don't know if it's the language or what, the translation or just how that reads. This, is all, this was always something difficult for me to understand. But the idea here is, if we remember the verses that came before, how our focus should be on heaven and heavenly things, when we look at earthly things through that lens, then we can understand material things here on this earth are nothing. They are unimportant. They are items that will pass away. What is important is God is important. Spiritual things are important. People are important. They are living souls. They are important to God. So if we don't understand this and we don't regard things correctly from that heavenly viewpoint, then we will see material things as being important. We'll be greedy and selfish and we'll be wanting all of these things and wanting what we think is ours and what we think we deserve. We'll not care for others or be concerned for them. We'll have hardened hearts towards other people and toward God. And then with that in mind, to me, that makes the last verse make even more sense. It always makes sense on its own anyway, but to me, that reinforces it. Uh, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So from our heart, we will serve either God or materialism, mammon basically being earthly wealth or riches or material things. That's what materialism is. So we'll either serve God or our, or our own selfishness. And this is a warning to make sure that we are hungering and thirsting for the spiritual things of God and not for the things of this world. Now, if you notice the last of this chapter, we're not going to read this, but notice verse 25 begins with, therefore. So therefore what? Well, because we have our focus on heaven, because earthly things, material things are not important, do not worry about these material things. The whole earth is God's. Everything is His. He will give us what we need. Instead, pursue a relationship with God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, not material wealth. Now we move to chapter 7. And here, since we are now that we're focused on God in heaven, Jesus warns us not to be judgmental of others. We're going to read the first two verses. Uh, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured 
back to you. The Lord warns us that we will be judged as we judge others. We're better off not to judge and condemn others. We are not perfect either. And this speaks back to being humble and not being self-righteous. Now, we can't take this out of context like some in the world do. We must be able to use sound judgment in this life. We must be able to make decisions and take actions off of that sound judgment. But the key here is not to act as the Lord and not judge and condemn people. Now, then, however, as an example of using our judgment properly, if we look at verse 6 in chapter 7, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, this use of trample under feet here is to show disdain and rejection in an insulting manner. It's someone who doesn't appreciate the things that you're presenting to them, and they really reject them in a very insulting, mean, or dis disdainful manner, in a uh, hateful, awful way. So if, if we are trying to share the gospel with someone, if we're trying to... Uh, speak to them about the Lord, and they are not willing to listen and actually go so far as to be angry and antagonistic, then we should peacefully walk away. You know, don't condemn them. You know, maybe another time, another place. We don't know what kind of day they've had and what's going on. Maybe another time and place, someone, God will be able to send someone that can help them. Maybe it's just not our time. But don't condemn them. You know, we want to stay humble and merciful and peaceful. Then next, if we look at verses 7 through 12, Jesus gives us an example of how God's heart is and how ours should be. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, because of this, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So first, Jesus tells us to be persistent and assures us that our prayers will be answered. Now, the problem is sometimes our prayers aren't answered maybe the way we want or the way we think they should be. But we can trust that God's answer to our prayer is the best one for us. His heart is kind and caring towards us. And then verse 12, therefore, because God only gives us good things, because when we ask and go to him, he responds with kindness and caring. We should treat others the same way. We should treat others as we want to be treated. When we go and ask God, we're asking God, we want a positive response, right? We want a good thing. 
And so we should treat others the same way, treating others with the same love and kindness that God treats us with. Our heart should be toward them like God's heart is toward us. Now, after these verses, Jesus is moving toward the end of the sermon. In verses 13 and 14, he tells us it is difficult to follow this path, that it is a narrow gate and we must find it. Then Jesus warns us about false prophets in verses 15 through 23. Their hearts are not right with God. They are like the hypocrites the Lord is teaching us about. He tells us that we will know them by their fruits. These false prophets or teachers will not inherit the kingdom because they are pretending, teaching for their own gain and not for God. We must use discernment to detect them using the knowledge that God gives us. Finally, Jesus is closing the sermon in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. We'll read uh, 24 and 25 here. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What Jesus has taught us here is the foundation of our faith in him as Christians. These are the founding principles that the Lord wants us to follow. We do these things from our heart out of love of God and caring for others. And these principles, which they are actually found in the law, are what Jesus gives us to follow him. It's just something of note that these principles were in the law, in the Old Testament, just in different ways. But it's very critical that we understand these ideas, that we make these changes in our hearts. Jesus tells us the result if we do not have our foundation in his teaching in the very next verses. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. In other words, without this foundation, our, our life will be a wreck. Unless we adopt the Beatitudes and make those changes in our heart, our goal. So we want to make sure that we're grounded in these ideas that the Lord has given us, that we are changing our hearts with God's word. And now, if there's anyone here today that maybe feels like your life is a wreck, maybe a disaster that just keeps following you, maybe you're running from God, or trying to run to God, if you would need assistance for prayers or whatever we can do for you, this is the time we have set aside for you. Please come forward while we stand and sing number 326, Trust and Obey. <laughs>